bitch. Ah, you know what old Jack Burton always says at a time like this? When you have to shoot, shoot, don't talk. Bitch, the Chicago. Hey everyone, and welcome to the We Love Dad Movies podcast. I'm your host, Ewan Patterson, and this week we are jumping into a late 90s peach of the dad core movie canon. We're going to dive into John Frankenheimer's Ronin, which, in my opinion, is a very underappreciated action movie slash thriller slash espionage thing starring Robert De Niro, the brilliant 90s staple that is Jean Renault. Um, and it even has Sean Bean in there too, so it's kind of like the complete package, basically. But in order to talk about this movie, I've enlisted a uh, <laughs> a beloved journeyman of the podcasting scene, um, who is also a noted Tony Scott fanatic and just all-around cool guy. Please welcome Mr. James Coddington to the podcast. How are you doing, James? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Ewan. <laughs> it's my pleasure, mate. I'm so happy that I saw you talking about Ronin the other week because it gave me the perfect excuse to be like, hey, you should come on the podcast as we're going to do a Ronin episode. And it's all, the, the stars have aligned quite nicely. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it works out like that. Yeah, I just randomly pulled it out again for some reason. I don't even know why. I don't remember. Like, and, you know, started watching it and I was just like, oh, yeah, this is, I, I hadn't watched it in a while. And I was like, I remember how good this is. This is so great. Because I, I picked up that Arrow Blu-ray a while back, and I don't even know if I had watched the whole thing, you know, and so it was just kind of like catching up on a movie that's been sitting on my shelf for years like they do, seem to, to do. Yeah, I, you know, it's just like, oh man, it is a, and I, I agree, underappreciated probably is a good, it's just not talked about that much anymore, it doesn't seem like, it seems like it kind of had a little bit here and there that, you know, I you know, people talk about it, but I guess... <laughs> Our people, quote unquote, like yeah, yeah. movie people, will kind of talk I, about it here and there. But it was a staple in um, in our house. Like my mum and dad, like loved Ronin and to the point where I think it's one of those that's like I watch it at least once a year. It's like Jaws. It's just it, it finds its way to us in, in one way or another. Where it's just kind of like I think it's just because it's a staple of like late night. Like you, it's such. I always bring this up. I don't know if like you guys have a similar channel, but we have a channel called Film Four in the UK, which is. Um, kind of like it's on the one of the like publicly owned kind of companies that, that like broadcasts everywhere um and like friday night well every night they do a, they do a movie at 9 p.m and they have a later showing as well ronin to me is always like a 9 p.m saturday friday kind of like movie that would come on um and yeah it just got a lot of i think it's 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 such a it's such a great movie and we'll go into like the influences and stuff because i think this movie is more it has more of an impact on how we look at action cinema that I think is maybe discussed because I think you can trace a through line between Ronin and the Bourne movies that obviously kind of, you know, re- you know heavily influenced the genre for better or for worse in, in, the, in the early to mid 2000s. But before we get into that, James, I need to ask you a few questions. Um, first of all, do you want to introduce yourself to everyone and we'll go from there? Yeah, I am, like you said, James Coddington. I, uh, I reside in the United States of America, <laughs> uh, Texas, uh, which is a a good and bad place for, you know, certain reasons, obviously, uh, politically, you know, whatnot. Uh, it's a great place in terms of geography and, like, some good history. And then, like, you know, it's it, it's also got some uh, political leanings that aren't toward, you know, really uh, my style. Yes. But, uh. So it's kind of like a, a love-hate relationship I have with my <laughs> my place that I live. But uh, I've lived here my whole life, you know, so it's kind of like, for better or worse, it's it's my home. Um, I am a big movie guy. You said Tony Scott. You brought up Tony Scott. Um, on Twitter, I kind of became known as the Tony Scott guy for a while. Um, I, I don't even remember how it kind of started, but I <laughs> randomly, you know, just people would mentioned Tony Scott here and there and I was like man that's a guy who you know again I don't feel like I see a lot of stuff you know going around about and it's like I need to start like championing him because I love Tony Scott and it's like well I'll just I'll become that guy who just <laughs> anytime I see something Tony Scott I'm gonna promote it I'm gonna push out there something about how much I love him or something great or a scene from a movie or you know a trailer or something just keeping it going and picture of him being awesome looking like he was, you know, um, 
but that's kind of it. I mean, that's how everyone I feel like now knows me <laughs> online, <laughs> quote unquote, as Tony Scott guy. I, I, you brought up uh, we, we were off camera. Matt Bledsoe, uh, he's the host of the Film Feast podcast. He kind of gave me my uh, first uh, foray into podcasting. Um, I guess I was a guest on. He did a whole series on Tony Scott uh, on Scottable, and. I, I, I'm like, I'm pretty, I'm a pretty big introvert, so I'm, I'm kind of like antisocial, and it gets weird, I, I don't have great social, like, skills, so podcasting was super, like, scary for me, and I was like, I never, you know, I'd been asked a few times before, and I would always be like, no, 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 I don't want to do it, no, 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 I can't do it, it's fine, I'm just good listening, you know, and for that, I finally, you know, broke down and gave in, and <laughs> went on Matt's show, and I was like, I gotta do it, because it's Tony Scott, everyone thinks... I'm the Tony Scott guy. Like, what have I done to myself now? You know, like, I've, I've cursed myself with this. Uh, so I, I did it, though, and it was awesome because Matt is amazing and makes you feel super comfortable. Like, it's like you're talking to your best friend you've known your whole life, and even though you just met him. So it was a wonderful time, and I thank him for it now. And now I have fun jumping on a podcast every <laughs> once in a while. Yeah, he's he's great. I absolutely adored like getting to talk to Matt the other month on both Film Feast and then uh, we have Dad movies too. Just an all round great guy who, like you say, he's so disarming. Like makes you feel comfortable and just like fun kind of bubbly movie talk, which is like what we all aspire to be. I think you know, getting that excitement and channeling that into the podcast. Scene. And I'm glad that that you jumped into that arena as well because I feel like from the episodes that I've listened to anyway, like you you always have some really fun insights. And I like I'm instantly I'm always drawn to people who champion uh, like not to say that Tony Scott wasn't a popular director. He obviously directed loads of stuff, loads of movies that people love, and like you know, um, like huge box office draws. But at the same time, you know, critically like divisive in some respects. But I feel like I like it when people go to really bat for, for their guys um and anyone who's like gonna be like oh yeah last boy scout legitimate banger action cinema you know like that high contrast visual just brilliance and and everything so yeah it, that's that's always cool and, and i mean i'm sure you must appreciate the tony scott like label but also you know like you've got like a diverse range of film tastes dude and i don't think that label detracts from that either <laughs> right 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 yeah and that's what you know i was like that's totally fine, but yeah, I do watch everything. You know, <laughs> like <laughs> I watch all movies. I don't just watch Tony Scott movies all day, every day. You know, so but yeah, I mean, and you're right. Like, it is nice to to get him out there, and he did run that line where he was like, uh, his movies were every like every. It's almost like everyone knew his movies, but not everyone knew Tony Scott made all those movies. It's one of those where he was kind of a little bit disconnected from, in terms of like everyone knows Steven Spielberg's movies and he made them. Not everyone knew, oh, Tony Scott did this and Tony Scott did that. Those movies that they might actually really love, they don't even connect to that person. So that's what I was kind of also, you know, trying to do at the same time was connect. Hey, all these pretty, you know, popular movies, maybe not all critically or like box office wise popular, but they are, well, they fall under the category that, you know, your show, like they're, he's a pretty good dad movie director. I mean, like. Yeah, these movies, they're all this guy. <laughs> this guy did all these movies you love. So He did. Working with dad movie legend Denzel. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, Unstoppable. That's like, to me, that's like one of the, you know, like, epitomes. I mean, it was his last movie, too, that's said, But that's a, that's a great dad movie. Like, I mean... It yeah. doesn't get much better than that. Cool. This this is actually a pretty good segue anyway, because now I get to ask you, um, what to you is a dad movie? Because you mentioned Unstoppable there. Obviously, Tony Scott, like, one of the great exemplars of the genre, in my view. Um, what is your history with, with what we'd call dad cinema? Yeah. Uh, I, I've noticed, I feel like dad movies and dad cinema, it can run the gamut for, for people like you know i feel like everyone kind of has a different idea of what they maybe think dad cinema or dad movies are and i was trying to think about it kind of wondering if you were going to ask me <laughs> i couldn't really think of a great great thing so i was just trying to think of like when i was growing up what my dad was watching so i can only kind of relate it to myself like yeah i know i said unstoppable because that feels like kind of what i assume most people kind of think of as a dad movie and like maybe even what you've kind of talked about being a dad movie um but like when I was growing up, I, I, I guess it's more my. I think of like Star Trek movies. Those are, those are yes, those are Star Trek movies, right? But they're also to me dad movies because 
my dad watched them all the time. <laughs> so like, and I think they might even have a lot of the things that kind of fall into those dad movie things, you know, like action, you know, drama. I mean, just, <laughs> these are also just things that are in movies, but you, you know, that's where it gets tough to like narrow down. Well, what makes it a dad drama? You know, I mean, I, I guess you could say there are also a lot of dudes. <laughs> <laughs> that's quite unquote, doing things yeah on a, on a ship i mean like i i don't know but yeah my memories of watching movies with my dad is a lot of star trek and he also you know we also watch star trek the next generation and like shows like that together um and then you know obviously other things like conan like you just think i, I think 80s action movies a lot it was almost like 80s action movies were dad movies for me kind of like you know kind of just fell into that anything that was came out in the 80s and was action or even you know like that's like an action fantasy of course you know conan but those kind of movies oh and even like predator dad movie i mean but it's also just a great action movie but it's also a dad movie and yeah, there's that yeah. thing again it's a bunch of dudes <laughs> this weird <laughs> this weird thing of a bunch of dudes like hanging out doing stuff i don't know i don't know yeah. i can't figure out the through line here but the hangout vibe you know tarantino like described like the hangout movie like Rio Bravo and stuff and there is there is an enjoyable as that is probably an aspect of like dad cinema I mean it's a very broad definition so many different things you know anything could be a dad movie really if it has like the vibe in your mind or whether it has like a personal like emotional connection or whatever um and I think Ronan kind of typifies certain aspects of that because not only do you have the hanging with the boys aspect where it's basically De Niro and Jean Renault being like, haha, we're so cool and everyone else is a little bit of a dork. Um, you also like have the the nighty suspense, the great kind of action work or whatever, car chases, um, cool espionage, twisty plots, um, and it's got it's um I feel like I saw the actual term from this the other day. One thing that I said in our episode on the fugitive is that one of my favorite genres of guy in movies is guy who is really good at his job. Um, and like, like Tommy Lee Jones and Samuel Gerard, he's fucking great at his job in The Fugitive, right? And you get something like Rodin, Robert De Niro, really fucking great at his job. Uh, and I like how, I like how that plays here. But also, obviously, you know, they're not invincible people and Rodin really goes into the, the vulnerabilities of, of that too, which is... Um, really fun i'll give a brief bit of like synopsis and context the film like i said before it came out in 1998 directed by the the legend that is john frankenheimer uh, one of his final ever movies with a script that was um revised um heavily or not heavily depending on who you ask by david mamet um and it's basically this brilliant kind of look into the post-cold war um kind of context of you had the spies and espionage you know experts special forces military operators or what have you who lived in that cold war zeitgeist for decades um and you know the film poses the question using the kind of the whole the metaphor of the Rhone and the samurai without a master of well what became of those people now that you know, to quote Francis Fukuyama, the the end of history is upon us. And then I'll get into that kind of end of history stuff here because I think if you have Air Force One on one spectrum of, of there where it's basically like, yeah, we defeated communism. The only thing that can hurt us again is more communism. Um, then Ronan is very much on the opposite end of that and being like, well, no, history doesn't end and there will always be conflict and, and, and things will continue and we're living in... Uh, equally murky if not murkier world than we were before um so it focuses on robert de niro who plays uh ostensibly a former cia operative who is now a mercenary uh, and he has been contracted by um what we later learn is the ira to steal a briefcase that is being bid on by uh, elements by i think it's like the either the chinese like criminal syndicate or like the chinese government and then also the russian mafia too um and it really goes into that post-cold war kind of murkiness and it's just brilliant and um things get heavy and it's really famed most for its excellent car chase sequences i was reading just before the guy who plays larry who is the the, the, the getaway man for, for De Niro's crew. Um, he actually l did most of his driving stunts, which is just ridiculous when you look at the movie and see how fast these machines are going. Um, and it's also famed for its, its its tactical kind of authenticity to like a long, like he gets a lot of credits for that Mick Gold SAS consulted, you know, um, 
gun battles and combat um but ronin is just as believable in its in its approaches the scene where they ambush um the convoy in nice that is like textbook special forces incredible covert operation kind of stuff going on there and and they all really handle it expertly it's a very believable and lived in film um and yeah it was well received at the time kind of made a modest box office return um but like you said before james like it's it's kind of it's never really as highly spoken about as something like a heat and obviously i think he is a masterpiece from man and, and frankenheimer did do better films than ronin but certainly it is a really really well made taut piece of cinema uh, and it's one of my favorite de niro performances as well like I always think of one of my favorite Pacino performances as being in Carlito's Way. And I'm not saying that this is like, again, as good as Carlito's Way, because I love Carlito's Way. But I kind of think that it's another one of those where De Niro, like Pacino in that movie, he gives a really nuanced performance that isn't as massively spoken about as his other stuff. Uh, and that is my my op- my opening <laughs> ramble over and done with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I was thinking about it too whenever you said you wanted to do this movie. I was like, man, this is a one of those crazy like spy you know thriller movies that it's tough to even talk about the plot because it's just it, that's what it does. You know, it goes all over the place. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you're right. And it's funny you we were talking about heat. Like I made even the last time when I rewatched it a few weeks ago. Uh, first, you know, I was like. Man, this reminded me a little bit of Heat, obviously, you know, like more than I remembered it reminded me of Heat. And um, I made notes here. I was like, yeah, like you said, that shootout scene. Uh, and, and even like it's, these guys come together, even the story, the story, you know, the, some of the plot elements feel heatish, you know, as well. Uh, I made a note this time, too. I didn't uh, note like the when they talk about the simulators, which is the little thing that De Niro drops in the bush. Right. And it like pretends like it makes it seem like there's more guns and stuff going on I, I i guess i completely missed that last time when i watched it i noticed it more this time and i was like oh that's really cool i never even like this might be the only movie i think i've ever or heard of that like i didn't know what that was you know that there was such a thing that was like a, a little fake auditory visual like thing that made people pretend there's more guns going off than there are to make it i guess seem like you know there are more of them than there are too uh but yeah, I mean, I, I, sorry, I guess we're going to jump all over the place too. Yeah, it's totally even, back, even backing up a bit, like, you know, talking about dad movies, I have no concrete evidence, but you're right. Like, I think spy, thriller, those are also kind of dad movie things. Like those, those, that genre of like espionage and those can definitely be, I can remember like Patriot Games, stuff like that. Or, you know, <laughs> yes, Prison. Yes. Of course, I'm thinking... Harrison Ford too, but maybe there's also a connection there. Harrison Ford movies are dead movies. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, so this also, yeah, just that story of just confusing plot line, you know, like what's going on, who's who, who's good, who's bad. Those are good dead movie elements too. Yeah, totally. Like, you're right. I think I didn't really, I haven't really thought about it that, like, that way before, but it is kind of totally similar to the Philip Noyce jack ryan movies like the way that it's framed obviously patriot games also deals with the ira um and ronan and, and it has sean bean sean bean <laughs> in that movie um where he's back to doing his best old uh sheffield voice here um but yeah like it's, it's kind of got that that tonal it visually it, it reminds me so much of clear present danger now that, now that you mention it like it kind of has that um that, that grayish oh god like europe's such a gray continent man it's just everything's so great except, except nice <laughs> nice is 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 nice you know you got like the nice sun there but ronan is kind of like it's gray it's washed out you know visually reflective of the ambiguity going on in the plot here and and and, and all that um and yeah it's just I, I i'm very very fond of this movie um like it has been like a it has been around with me for a very long time now um and it's one of those where I come away from it each time with like a different kind of thing to it. I think it's it's so familiar at this point that I should, on paper, be bored by it, but I'm never because the um, I think it's just so authentically arranged and delivered by Frankenheimer. Like the actual like the car stunt work is just phenomenal. Like for my money's worth, the the car chase in Paris is like 
up there with um what freaking pulls off in french connection and to live and die in la and it kind of even feels like it's taking a little bit from the latter when they're going across on the opposite side of the road or whatever and which again you know frankenheimer did french connection too so you got that connection going on as well and it's still a french connection because it's set in france <laughs> i know it's crazy i was even i you talking about that i was reading he i guess he lived in uh france for a while so that he filmed a few of his movies there and that's why he wanted to do this there too because he knew it so well like the location uh but yeah it is funny like you talk about the car chase like that that alone is already great but there's another one like there's two car chases in this movie that are both the highest level of car chase you're gonna get in a movie not not just one you get two so you get double like i mean it's just crazy yeah it kind of like it feels it feels almost like it's, it's, it just feels believable. And I think of Ronan, and I just think of, like, again, like, the tactical vibes. Like, they're, they're so on point. But also, like, the, the preparation phase and how concerned they are with showing the minutiae of every aspect. Like, right from the very beginning when we meet the mercenaries and De Niro is giving himself an exit route from from the cafe. He doesn't want to walk into a situation he knows he can't walk out of. Um, they have the whole meeting thing. He's being quite guarded. And then you have fake SAS man Sean Bean basically being like, you like guns, do you? Do you like guns? What, gu- what gun do you carry? What gu-? Basically being every weird Twitter anonymous rando guy online who thinks he's actually a soldier when he's not. He's so funny, man. That character is literally like a YouTube comment section born in 1998. <laughs> yeah it's it's also weird because he kind of like oh and i mean you know he does that and you, you're like okay well he's not really anything he's just some dude uh and then they just get rid of him you know like when she gives him the money and he's like bye and then he's gone he's out of the movie like it, it's so funny because that's just i guess you know it's it has some of those weird realistic things also in terms of like how they're set up as a team and like you kind of it, it's you, you know talking about realism like they don't seem like, they just seem pretty normal. Like, you know, they're, like, even they're not, like, super, like, you know, you think they're, like, all gung-ho and, like, know everything, you know, but they don't. Like, Robert De Niro obviously knows the most, right? He, you know, he shows that with him asking these questions all the time and being, like, the nosy guy. But they're all just kind of, like, oh, getting info and chilling, hanging out. Like, they're just there. This is literally just them taking on something. They're not, like... It's not in some, I don't know, you know, you think of like... They're not larger uh, than life, are they? Right, they're, exactly. Yeah. You know, like, they're really just subdued characters. And it, it adds to, you know, un, even subconsciously to the realism to yeah. help us connect to him, I think. like Because you know. even though De Niro is like, he's the smart man in the room and he's very inquisitive and stuff, he's just doing his job. Like, he is like, he's not, he's never doing it in a brash, arrogant way. He isn't arm wrestling people. He's like... He's all this time while he's asking questions. He's also assessing the the measure of everyone he's working with. That great bit after Sean Bean uh, fucks up on the ambush uh, when they get the guns, and then he places his coffee down, and you don't even think about it at the time. And then he's like, "Like you're talking about a fucking ambush. I just ambushed you with the coffee." And like that's just like so great. And also the bit where he's gauging Gregor's reflexes, who we are we know is hinted that he was ex KGB. Um, and he instantly is like on it like that and like they're asking him oh, are you afraid are you afraid is that it? he's like yeah of course i'm afraid it, it keeps me thinking and stuff and i just i love that practical aspect to his character because it makes the final twist of his true mission at the end even better because i think at that point we all don't see that coming we are so convinced of the idea of you know him being who he purports to be that when you get to that ending part you kind of like oh shit, like that, that's a really good twist. And it's almost like it happens so quickly that you might not even process it. Um, oh yeah, I mean, yeah, he just says it to her, like right there. Like there's like a line of dialogue. He's, you now know the twist. If you didn't hear that line, you're you're out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and I love the relationship that develops between him and Jean Renaud's, uh, is it Vincent? Um, I yeah, it. Vincent. I was, I, that's why I, I, writing, Going back and forth between characters' names and stuff yes, is always a yes, nightmare. Yeah, it's, it's always like, a hard time. Yeah, but I love know is Sam. John Renault is Vincent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gregor. I do remember Gregor. Gregor's a good name. Um, and I love how he has his own little nerd command console in that van, which is like the dorkiest thing ever. And again, disarms you. You think that Gregor's just the nerd. You think he's just the guy with, who's good at computers and he's he's got his glasses on, he's got his thinning hair, he's got his like you know, uh, computers and pencils and, and what have you. But 
Sam pegs him from the start as a guy who can kill someone. Um, right. And it's not even like it's then explicitly said that, oh, you, you see that. Like, it's just, it's all, it's all in those moments. The only unsubtle thing about this movie, and it's my one big criticism with it, is the score, which reuses that really annoying kind of like, I'm going to use it like a documentary sound, where if you're watching a true crime documentary or something, and someone does something evil, and you just hear the noise, I can't, that's not even a good impression of it, but you know exactly what I mean, right? <laughs> yes, yes. No, I know what you mean. It, it is funny, because I, I was thinking about the score a lot, you know, watching it last night, I rewatched it last night, and I was like, some of it, I, so I like parts of it, but yes, then there are yes. parts that, like, I like the jazzy, like, during the first... Um, mm whenever they're doing that first shootout, you know, sequence, um, uh, you know, it's got that jazzy, you know, the, the, the drums are going and stuff. So it's kind of like that. That's cool. I like that. But yeah, sometimes whenever it gets regular, regular quote unquote scory, it, it does lean into that uh, over the top, you know, kind of, it's just like too much, which can work sometimes. And, and that's always, you know, the thing is like, it's always subjective. I don't even know necessarily what makes it work and not work. Sometimes I think maybe depending on how, like you said, this is so realistic, in other levels and then you have the score kind of like uh that kind of takes away from what i'm in right now so maybe tone it down a little bit yeah exactly because everything else is so like withdrawn and like documentary like documentary and an approach that when you hear the what i just assume is the cliche true crime klaxon noise come on it's like oh come on i know they're being shady you don't need to reiterate it with with the music or whatever but that is like that's like a minor gripe. Um, the only other gripe that I have as well is that there's kind of like a bolt-on romance here, which really doesn't gel with with those two characters for me. I think they, they could have maybe found a different route to make um, Natasha McElroy's character a little bit more sympathetic if that's what they wanted to go with. I mean, I thought I thought she was totally sympathetic. She had an asshole boss who was like jeopardizing her entire strategy, so that's that's sympathy enough for me. Um, but yeah, like that's that's like. The only the only two things for me i think like everything else is enjoyable i do too and i i did notice that too again more on this watch like and she you know i i guess you know she does say her real name as far as we know like it's deirdre right and so she says that at the very beginning and like then you find out later like that's what her boss calls her too so she hasn't been like you know robert de niro's like questioning deirdre you know like as if that's not really her name like he doesn't know you know he doesn't trust her but it is. So I guess they're trying to, you know, like make us connect as much as they can. But I do agree. Like even the scene when they're staking out and like, she kind of like does get try you know, they get a little fresh and I'm like, I don't know. I don't really feel this, but you know, that, that I, I, I don't know. You know, I don't know who to, who's to blame for that. Yeah. Like just, it's a little half baked, I guess. Yeah. In the script, I think kinda. I was reading before that that was added in with Mamet's rewrites, um, which, oh, they, they, they fleshed out a little bit more, but again, like it doesn't, I think, I think the movie operates, and usually, this is me being anti-horn, by the way. Like, I like a bit of, like, I like a bit of raunch. I like a bit of romance in my movies. Yeah, I think in, in this particular context, it felt a little bit weird because it felt, I guess I could say it felt like James Bondy when everything else feels so believed in and, like, grounded and down to earth, even more so than the stuff that you get with Bourne, like, in the 2000s. Um, so to have that aspect in it, I just felt this is kind of just a little bit weird. But I guess at the same time, you can make the argument that, it further sells the idea of of De Niro's character actually being a mercenary and not still working for the agency, which I guess again, in my own roundabout way, there, it, I, it maybe it is meant to come across as a little bit disingenuous because it makes you even think then that oh right okay, I guess he probably is who he who he says he is. Um, but they, but then they, I mean, yeah, yeah, we could we can dissect the movie and say, well, get that out of there. We'd be fine without it. We probably would, but they did it. We have to live with it. Yeah, but backing up even more, I was I was thinking about how you were talking about him using the coffee cup, you know, to uh, get both Gregor and you know Sean, what I don't know what Sean Bean's character's name is. I can't remember. Is it Spence? So, yeah. Spence. So he yeah he uses the Shut coffee up. cup to find out that one of them's actually who they say they are, and maybe even more than you know. Keeps you know Gregor's like actually something more and i love how you know you say he seems so unassuming and whatnot he's just a nerd techno guy you know he's got that great 90s van he's in with all the you know we see the, the gps stuff i'm hacking their positions them. i'm hacking <laughs> yeah <laughs> which you only get in these 90s movies which oh i would love if we got that kind of stuff now um but uh 
then whenever we cut from that and he actually takes the case and then you see how evil and like dark and like whenever he almost shoots that girl like that scene to me every time that scene happens i'm always just like i can't believe it like and then he just kills the guy too i'm like okay this dude is that's it i mean there's no there's nothing in there like he's got no soul this is the darkest of the dark it's really good because, like you say, that the, he he prepared, the only thing that stops him from murdering from 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 assault and precinct thirteening that that girl is is like you know the intervention of the guy who's holding him or trying to hold him at gunpoint, um, and then even then, like one thing that I find ground that that grounds the movie even more for me because it's not like the case of he's a mustache twirling villain. He's procuring what we can assume to be is a WMD for the IR for to, to, for his Russian mafia friends for his own personal gain, and he's willing to kill children, uh, and he's willing to do whatever. And like the the movie doesn't dawdle when it comes to civilian casualties as well. Like people die in the crossfire, you know, people shoot indiscriminately, people get injured in the car chases. Um, it feels like I say, it feels very lived in and believable. Yeah, all those moments. Uh, it's funny. I'm now i'm realizing so many of these moments have gregor involved there's a i've noticed this time too there's a moment during the second car chase and gregor's in the front seat and so like the first half of the car chase happens and then there's like a little break and then there's the second half of the car chase when that second half starts and that's when they go down into the oncoming traffic down in that uh tunnel he puts on a seatbelt it's just like a small thing, but he's like, okay, now I got to put my seatbelt on because this is where something's going to happen if it's going to happen. And I love it because like, and I even, I, I had to rewind it because I was being that guy. I was like, let me see if he didn't have a seatbelt on before that or if this is like some, you know, continuity thing or whatever. But no, he didn't have a seatbelt on for the whole first half. And then that second half comes and he puts a seatbelt on. He's like, okay, it's getting real now. <laughs> it's clever, isn't it? Because like with the seatbelt off, you're more maneuverable inside the vehicle. You can take on other people. You use, use, use your hands more. But if you've got to put it on, that's you accepting that, okay, there could be a big crash here and I don't want to die. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that is very clever. There's lots of little subtle moments like that, which I just really appreciate about the movie. I think you highlighted on Twitter when, when I messaged you about this, you mentioned the, was it the, the scene um, in the Coliseum? was like oh yeah 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 yeah, like kind of like a a editing high point in the film Um, oh yeah for sure yeah like it's really that one's really really good um particularly like the tension being played back and forth um and then the actual like fight itself and again civilians being indiscriminately hurt um it's it's all really well done and i just i think like you have that whole masterless samurai dynamic to the movie which of course we you know the, the, the final twist kind of upends that slightly because de niro does have his master and in this particular case the cia did some good and prevented you know the good friday agreement from being <laughs> destroyed by a rogue ira operative or whatever um but like even before then you have that that we're all soldiers of fortune and then it goes from being a ma- matter of fortune to a matter of honor you know we, we were actually you know we've been betrayed here we have been personally aggrieved and now we are living in a form of that 47 ronin you know myth that we are uh we get that great scene with the miniatures and stuff from from vincent's mentor or old friend yeah i was gonna say i was gonna say that that, that scene where he shows up uh jean pierre i guess is his name in the movie and then uh he does the whole like you know he talks about the 47 ronin which you know, that's another thing where it's like added in and it could be like, you could know, you could probably do without it if you wanted to, but it, it's a, it's a nice moment. But, uh, plus you get to see, uh, Michael Lonsdale, you know, he's, I like to see him anytime. So I like seeing affectionately nerdy hobbies portrayed in films <laughs> that as well. Too, yes. Like I was watching it with Zan, uh, last night. Um, and <laughs> it was after the surgery scene, which is fantastic as well. I love that oh, scene yeah, so I'm... much where he's just like, I'm going to pass out now. Um, yes. <laughs> when it cut back to Jean-Pierre working on the miniatures, Zan started doing a De Niro impression of like, oh, these are little miniatures. Uh, my grandson plays with these and stuff like this. And then he walks out and he's like, eh, you went to miniatures, eh? <laughs> it was just kind of a great bit of like, I love that. Like, it, even though <laughs> you can look at that as being like, oh, affably predictable. It's also just like, I like, again, it, it's totally in keeping with with sam's character where he drew attention to that and i again i like that because it shows it shows the kindness in his heart and again you get that with his relationship with with vincent uh the sympathy he extends to to deidre at the end too um but yeah i enjoy that entire villa scene mainly because i would love to live in a villa like that because it looks like the most amazing place ever just swirling brandy painting on miniatures you know that's kind of the dream life 
we won't be able to talk about every single scene. I know that's great because that's that's another one. The, the surgery scene, like I love it because he's like walking them through it. He's doing it. He's just taking it, and then like you said, it, it's got that nice little punchline at the end of him. Okay, I'm gonna pass on now. But uh, <laughs> he does kind of do the little De Niro thing in his after the um, whenever he's talking about the miniatures, and then he's like, "Seppu, what?" You know, it's like that's that's a De Niro. That feels like a De Niro. <laughs> like Sapuku, Sapuwa. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, uh, you, sorry, you were talking about the. Is it Arles Amphitheater? Is that where that is? It yes, yeah, I believe so. Arles. Um, it's probably like A R G. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, yeah, that you were talking about the editing, and that it's funny because. What what reminded me of it whenever I started rewatching it last time um, was we actually talked about that scene in one of my film classes, one of my editing film classes, and uh, our professor brought that scene up, which was awesome because I was like, hey, no one again, no one talks about Ronan. This is great to see this in my class, like, um, I, you know, and yeah, it it really is like, and you know, it's it's one of those ones where you, you might not even notice how good it really is at doing all the things it's doing because it does it so seamlessly and so, so well. But like, yeah, you know, he said the cross cutting between everyone, like. This the, the, that's whenever everything like that's kind of like the breaking point of the movie or the middle point of the movie, you know, where the two the plots now going into the second half, where we find out, you know, Gregor's taking the case. He's actually this guy. Now he's going to try to sell the Russians, and then blah 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 blah. So it's like multiple people all converging on a point, and then they do, and then all hell breaks loose, and then like you said, people die. Like it, 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 it's a lot, but if you didn't have that great editing back and forth, we'd get lost. And that's the thing is like, it keeps you there. It keeps you in the moment. It lets you know exactly what's going on. Who's where in the Coliseum. Like, and that's tough to do. And people don't even, you know, you don't even realize it until you like, if you sit there and watch you're like, okay, yeah, you had to have all these scenes for one filmed in the first place. And then cut together. Like, it's just sometimes, sometimes we can nerd out about stuff like that. And just be like, yeah, that's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it is like it's immaculately edited like everything like i feel like it keeps you in suspense the entire time you know frankenheimer was never afraid to linger on a shot so you get the appropriate amount of time where scenes are allowed to breathe and then when it is the action stuff it's a case of like we're not going to obscure anything we're going to show you know we spent so long blocking these and like articulating them let's just show like the full the full picture of what is happening um and that goes for whether it's like you know the ambush sequence from before which again is just brilliant i just i i love the I love how even like the prep phase as well is so well handled where you see De Niro assuming that kind of um, like, oh, we're going to pretend to be husband and wife and we're just going to, you know, casually get like do like the camera stuff as well. This is how we're going to get them to, 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 you know, get the intelligence to assess how, how good they are. And then like the actual, which is all De Niro. Yeah. Too. It's you know, it's so just good. Funny. He, and just, then... he takes it all. He takes control. It's like, no one knows what they're doing. I'm going to do this. Cause <laughs> Yeah, and then you get to the ambush itself, and it's like, okay, well, like everything they do is right. They take out the front car with explosives. Um, they they lay down, you know, suppressive fire with an actual heavy piece of artillery. You then get to the second ambush, and he's pulling out like a light machine gun to suppress like an even farther like the the, the fact that each each weapon is doing its actual intended focus for me. That's so refreshing to see in an action movie where it's like, well, no, he's not just using like it's a, like he says at the beginning it's it, each weapon is a tool give me the right tool for the job and i'll do it and each weapon that he uses in the movie um from what i've read and watched like that is what its intended function is and it's it's really good and i do remember there was there was some documentary like released in the early 2000s which was hosted by like former sas members where they repeatedly brought up rodan and were like this is like a really believable depiction of, of how covert sas teams actually like operate and the tactics that were used and stuff which i think that's like that's a that's a you know a testament to the level of detail that goes in on here um i completely forgot where i was bringing the original point with the minutiae aspects or whatever but certainly you know the car chases too like everything is laid out for you you see everything you get the great you know um hood mounted shots of, of zooming through these these really claustrophobically tiny parisian and 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 general french streets and stuff oh yeah there's that one whenever they uh go into the the neighborhood right area and then it like pulls that big zoom out so you see how congested it really is like where they're about to be doing that chase and it's like yeah that's that's pretty cool and like I said he shows you so you know now you're not just following the cars into this place where you, now he's gonna let you see actually where they are going so that even adds you know more yeah totally totally um and yeah so like the the, the action the action stuff is just phenomenal in general like, i can't really like i can't hype it up enough because i just think it's so like 
it's 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 stylized in its own way but it just feels like they the main the main focus here was to make something that felt believable um right down to the idea of you know civilians get hit in the crossfire and like the, what firearm does what and you know what is practical what isn't because sean bean's character is essentially like he's almost like the movie buff coming into the situation and being like oh yeah, yeah have some of that you know doing that he's the only one screaming at people he's the only one trying to fire off one-liners as he hopelessly profusely sweats or whatever everyone else is just doing their jobs um yeah, he gets out of the car and throws up at that one point after yeah, the, yeah. The, that first scene. So well done. Um, yeah, I just I'm, I'm just a huge fan of it, and like thematically as well, I think the movie is genius. Like you go from so many movies in the '90s, like kind of having like the unsure decade of like, oh well, communism has been vanquished, so let's just blow up America with aliens, or let's just have like a, you know like an internal thing, or maybe we'll just bring back the communists again, and and like. Ronan is essentially like, well, no, things don't just end in history. Like, things continue. Um, like, what do cold warriors do now that there is no cold war? And the answer is, well, duh, dummies. Like, awful things are still happening. And this is still happening. And it's, you know, challenging that kind of, like, early 90s naivete of, you know, what the world was going to look like. And I think it's a precursor to, like, post 9-11 and war on terror movies as well like Rodin is extremely prescient like in how it approaches all of that um like i just i think it's a fascinating piece of cinema yeah that's like little groups here and there underneath behind the scenes not on big playing levels but the effects still have huge you know repercussions like but it's all just way under there under the surface now <laughs> yeah um yeah, it is good, but I mean, oh, it's great. I mean, it's great. It's not. It's not good. It's great. Uh, and, and and you know, you it is funny too because you know sometimes it's talking about the tactical stuff and like you know the, how realistic it is. It, depending on the movie, you know, like it, you can you can put in fake or like goofy gunplay and whatnot, but this movie deserves that, right? Because you know it is going for like you said a more realistic feeling. So if they had just thrown in like oh they're dual wielding you know uzis and whatnot like you know that wouldn't be right <laughs> and ronin <laughs> you can work in another movie but not not ronin uh but yeah uh yeah it's it's a great movie i don't know i mean we, i know we kept talking about like innocent bystanders mm-hmm. there's another one at the very end too like the oh the god skater. yes like, yeah, yeah yeah she yeah. just gets sniped like i mean in any other movie it wouldn't have happened right like they're doing their little face off you know gregor's meeting with the russians and he's saying that he has to call or that his sniper's gonna shoot the ice skater and then they let it happen. They shoot him, kill him. Ice skater gets sniped. I mean, it's like, yeah, <laughs> okay, that just happened. Like, it's really good because in in that moment, you're like, does he does he think that Gregor is bluffing? Because he surely doesn't. Because he knows he's worked with Gregor before. He's ex KGB, and he's like, oh, this person never misses or whatever. Um, and he, he, the unpredictable nature of that is that Gregor, like. Sam De Niro's character says at the beginning he never walks into a situation he can't walk out of. So he's planned that. He's got the the the, the virtual hostage there. You know he's holding this this Russian mobster's you know love interest at, at gunpoint while she's performing you know her Olympic ice skating techniques to like a crowd, a really public crowd or whatever. Um, and this guy just does not care. He wants what's in that brief, what's in that briefcase. And again, I, I don't think it's ever explicitly revealed what is in there, but to me it feels like it's some kind of dirty oh yeah explosive or something yeah no that that that's a yeah it's not robert de niro he he asks multiple times what's in the case you know he just keeps randomly saying it over and over throughout the movie and then at the very end he says it doesn't matter like mm-hmm. it's literally like brought up that it doesn't matter what's in the case and we don't ever find out it reminds me so much of like pulp fiction you know like yeah oh, it's just like a yeah, it could be anything. It could have been like it could have been a dossier on intelligence agents and like where yeah. they're like active and what their identities were. It could have been like a, a massive weapon to upset the peace process in Northern Ireland. It could have been, you know, it could have been all sorts. And like you say, it doesn't matter because it, for him, it's a job. And I like how it, 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 even though Rodan is a very thrilling, exciting movie, it really does kind of go into the like, well, you know, it's it's very much a case of, like, this is their jobs and, you know, it's not up to them to necessarily have to know what it's about. It would have been a good additional t- intelligence for him to have. Maybe. Right. <laughs> but at this point, all that matters is getting Seamus and making sure that whatever is in that briefcase doesn't go around. It kind of reminds me a little bit of um, 
Lumet's Three Days of the Condor in certain respects, where you've got that mundane intelligence community aspect of it all balanced with the more thrilling moments of, of violence or whatever. Like, it's um, it's really good. And I guess, yeah, I mean, I think it's just a, a fantastic, like, late 90s effort. And I wonder if maybe you'd get a fun double bill out of this and Enemy of the State just to bring it back to Tony Scott. <laughs> <laughs> uh, shoot, yeah. I mean, you definitely would. It's, it is funny because, you know, you could pair up so many different like spy espionage movies together and they all feel like oh perfect uh you tell me this though i don't know i might be completely wild but for some reason when i was watching it last night i kept like even even in the terms of like like the way it looked uh visually i just kept thinking of snake eyes which Mm. also came out in 98 and i don't know something about it like they're completely different movies right but like I was just like, man, this feels like Snake Eyes. It looks like Snake Eyes, quote unquote. You know, like some of the way it was filmed and shot. I don't know. Like I said, who knows what's going on in my brain. But but I was like, now I kind of want to watch Snake Eyes, which I also love. But I need to add that to my watch list because I've never seen it. And it's been... Oh, really? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, It's been... Esther Palmer as well, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's been on my watch list for... I saw a really gorgeous clip of that the other month. And I was like, holy shit, I need to watch this. <laughs> yeah, definitely you do. Like, that's one I feel like... I as with so many of his movies, I think it's like some people love it. Some people hate it, but you know, whatever, but that's one I love. And it's like, I think, you know, it's cause I'm also just like a super, when I, most of the time I can be like a style over substance guy. So like if you, which that's perfect for De Palma, obviously, cause you know, he's obviously going to be shooting to the nth degree, you know, like within an inch of its life, this movie is filmed. Like every aspect of it is like amazing technically. Right. So no matter what's going on underneath there, you know, it could be horrible script and blah, 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 this and that. But, uh, I'm having fun watching that movie no matter what. So, but yeah, I, I definitely recommend snake eyes because I also don't think that it's bad on, on the end of all that, but yeah, I mean, that's the thing I, I love. I love the whole, I like it when people bring these takes to the surface. Cause like, I just, I, I feel like I'm so bored with like the, you know, consensus narratives in general about movies, because I feel like people just get born into a narrative and then, like, they they make their judgment before they've seen the film. They just assume that, oh, you know, oh, like, just to bring it up, I've brought this up in two episodes now. Me and Zan watched Paint Your Wagon this week, right? Perfectly okay to not like Paint Your Wagon. I understand people will not like Paint Your Wagon, but I feel like a lot of people don't like Paint Your Wagon who haven't seen it because they've been told that, oh, it, it flopped in the 60s and the simpsons made fun of it at one time and it's like you know there's there's more to it than the consensus here and this is again like it's why i fucking like i hate sites like rotten tomatoes and stuff because you know you could you could take a look at ronin and i feel like what it's it's got like a like a 67 percent or something on rotten tomatoes and someone could look at that and go sorry 70 percent. so it's gone up since i last looked they could look at that and go oh okay it's just it's just an okay movie and i'm like well no that's not what that's not how the percentages might be used anyway, but I also hate the idea of, like, you look at that and you'd be like, okay, well, Ronan's clearly just an okay movie. And it's like, well, no, it's it's really, really great. Like, it's 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 a really accomplished piece of cinema that, you know, you could make an argument for sitting alongside Frankenheimer stuff that he did back in his peak in, in the 60s, you know, along with stuff like The Train. You know, it's it's just as thrilling. Um, in my the train. Opinion. Oh man, I love the train. I was. I, I need to pull up his filmography. I, I. He's got. You know. He's directed so many movies. Like I've only seen probably. You know. A third of them. I think. But I remember when I checked out the train. Man, that one. Like that was one where I was kind of blown away by how great it was. Like. Because so, again, sometimes, like you said, you go in with a mindset. I'm like, oh, this is 1964. It's going to be. I'm going to put myself in the mindset of watching a movie from 1964. But it was like, you know, miles ahead of that. It was like, that's, it's so good to me. Like, I was like, well, this was made right now. You know, this feels so, uh, I don't know. That's, uh, that's one of my favorites. I, I do love the train a lot. Manchurian Candidate as well, which is just a fantastic movie. Um, again, I think I've only seen like, I've seen Manchurian Candidate, I've seen the train and I've seen Ronin. I don't think I've seen, um, <laughs> very I, many. I don't think I, I, I've I, seen French Connection too, but I, I don't remember much of it. It's been a long time. I was about to say like, I've always been. I've heard people bat for that movie, but I think, like, I adore The French Connection so much, and I love the way that movie ends, and I don't, I just don't, I can't conceive in my brain a reason for a sequel. It's almost like I'm, like, I saw the Sicario sequel the other year, and, like, I really, really like Sicario, the OG. I think that's one of the best movies of, like, 2015 or whatever. Um, And I watched the sequel a few years later, um, 
it's it's a perfectly fine sequel like it's okay but it's one of those where i feel like the story that they told in the first one is so conclusive and 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 just lingers in just the right way that to revisit that just feels weirdly antithetical um even though frankenheimer again like massively accomplished filmmaker and he probably did a great sequel but i just i i don't think <laughs> right, i, I right, had right. any motivation to actually go watch it i need to watch yeah. grand prix though like that sounds like it's a fun time that's that's another one i've seen it is good it's it's a, uh interesting you know like the setup like it's a longer and a, just kind of like you know a loose i guess plot you know there's not really a much of a plot i guess it's kind of like it's just another one where but he kind of lends himself to that i think he, he got great visuals too you know he's like a, a visual storyteller on top but so it's a, it's one that's good to watch <laughs> mm, yeah sit with marinade not to like you. dig into and be like oh this is so deep no this is like a good visual feast mm, the vibes the vibes, the vibes yes yes the vibes only <laughs> yeah, i'm all about the vibes uh i think I was, i've mentioned this before i think with some other people but like as i get older it's like uh i'll i'll give it up here i'm, I'm 42 years old I'm, I'm getting to me that's old um i'm becoming more open to like or less less inclined to sit here and like dig into like trying to analyze you know we've all taken field theory classes and stuff like that and like i just i don't i don't like it as much i guess because i maybe and you know part of it might be because i see so much of it online and like everyone else is already doing it and it's like you know what i'm just gonna watch these movies and just kind of let them flow over me and if that happens while i'm watching it sure great if my mind decides to go there but i'm never gonna go in with any of those like mindsets of like i gotta get in here and (laughs) Sometimes sometimes less is more. You know, sometimes it's it's okay to say that something is is good, you know? Like um and yeah, I think everyone has their own interpretations or whatever, but like if something doesn't jump out at you, then that's perfectly valid. You know, you could look at Ronan and just be like, This is a fun action thriller, um, with, you know, some great kind of flourishes or you can really dive into the to the weighty thematics of it all and try and like contextualize it in, in its history or like look at you know track in the in the trajectory of De Niro's career how does Rodin like a lot you, you can go academic if you want to but yeah perfectly fine just just enjoy it as a piece of entertainment because it is it is thrilling to watch and um, that ending twist I think is brilliant I, I really like the the bit where he is like you know I, I never left I never left this I've been playing you all this entire time it is so oh, well done. Oh, we didn't even say Seamus is played by Jonathan Price. Who... Jonathan Price, yes, <laughs> great, great. You know he doesn't have much to do in this movie, but when he shows up, he's great. And like, I, I don't know about you, but like for me, he he's like seared into my brain from my childhood when uh, he was in Something Wicked This Way Comes. I don't know if you've ever I've seen, never that. seen it. I've seen it. He he played Mister Dark, and like, I'm just that kind of like scarred me for life. Like, there's a scene in the I movie heard that's I'm a like, harrowing that's movie for like yeah, little, he, little like little kids and stuff, like people who grew up. With yes, it. yeah, it's a. I would recommend that. Hey, it's it's a it's October been, right now. Maybe season. if you can find a time to throw it in, do it. But yeah, sorry. Okay, so yeah, he, he we didn't mention jo- Jonathan Price. Great. Yeah, and he's yeah, obviously we know him from Tomorrow Never Dies. Is that David Mamet connection? Because he was in uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross as well. So yeah. Right, he's in everything. You yeah, know, you've seen him. It was funny because my wife came in when I was watching it last night, and uh, who did she saw someone on screen was like, I think it was John Reno, and she was like, he always plays a bad guy in everything. I was like, he's a good guy in this movie. <laughs> so like the one time she walked in and saw John Reno, I was like, said he was a bad guy. And I'm like, mm, not this time. Reno is. I was so thinking more. Nice. Stone Skarsgård's always playing a bad guy. It feels like, yeah, uh, yeah. but yeah, I don't know. That's just. Does he play a good guy in anything still in Skarsgård? I don't know. Uh, oh, he's in the one good Star Wars show worth watching, and or he plays a morally ambiguous hero, so not explicitly like heroic or whatever, but he's, you know, he, he's a cool dude in that. Um, oh, I guess Goodwill Hunting. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, sorry. I just see. That's, I say something that immediately disproves. It's, it's all good. I mean, I just, I love, again, just to talk about Jean Renault, like, I lo- like, he is such a 90s like actor to me like i just think of him i think of like Ronan instantly the 98 godzilla um obviously he was in um uh, leon and then also mission impossible like i just i think that's like those are some really big definitive 90s movies for me in my brain so whenever i think of Shizuru, i'm like oh yeah 90s man <laughs> yeah well, it's 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 strange too because like you know I, he's definitely not someone who like everyone would know but he was in some of those like 
huge movies where I, as you like, even my wife who isn't like a movie person in any way, shape or form. So like she sees him, recognizes him enough. So like, that's kind of cool for him. Like he probably made an impact even though no one actually knows his name or <laughs> same thing. Like Tony Scott, you know, they do all his movies, yeah. but they don't know who he is. Yeah, totally. Um, but yeah, I think, Oh yeah, go on, go on. I was going to say, speaking of genre, uh, I mean, I love to talk about, you know, movies that, uh, Maybe not everyone's seen, but The Big Blue is my favorite Jean oh, Reno movie. I might have to add that to my watch list. I've never heard of it before. It's another Luc Besson movie, so, you know, obviously, like, I wouldn't expect everyone to watch it if they don't want to. That's fine, you know. It, it, but it's, to me, it's a it's an amazing movie. It's about two freedivers. Uh, he plays one, a freediver, um, and there's another, I don't know the other guy's name. He's... I'm going to say, quote unquote, not as famous in America, uh, show my ignorance here, <laughs> but, uh, they're, they're like, they grew up together, uh, and they, they used to die. They're, you know, one of their fathers had an accident when they were young and, uh, died while he was diving. And then they grow up together and go their separate ways and whatnot, but they end up kind of coming back together for these free diving competitions and stuff. It's just, it's all the underwater diving sequences are you know amazing like they're filmed great and like it is luke Besson, so obviously it's got a visual flair to it you know that he brings but like i said i know he's got some uh pretty big issues uh so i would understand if no one wants to go back and revisit any of his movies yeah <laughs> or watch for the first time absolutely I totally understand yeah yeah it's tough to do that nowadays. Um, but yeah like yeah ronan just Fantastic, great time. Uh, immaculately casted. You know, we could talk about like everyone in here for for ages. I feel because they all give such great committed performances. And but yeah, like I think for De Niro, De Niro especially, like I love I love this from him. I think it's like you know he obviously super he, subdued. He's, he's still doing great stuff, but this is like a late career. I guess you could call it a late career highlight. I mean, it's it's probably more like the middle of his career. I guess in a way, like if you think of his early peak being the seventies, and then you move into the nineties, there's a whole. 20 years later, you know, at that weird point, yeah, it's wild. Oh, man, that is crazy to think. Yeah, it does, because, yeah, he, you know, he's probably, I mean, he looks a little aged, but not, like, quote-unquote old, you know, so, like, yeah, but you're right. Technically, like, year-wise, it's probably just the middle of his career, but... Yeah, yeah, but it's it's, it's, it's all it's all really good. Please watch Rodan if you haven't already, like, it's, um, it's, I think it's, it's a really underappreciated movie, like, even if it is generally well thought of and well received i feel like it uh it deserves more products if you send in some love heat sway for all its great tack work and action sequences maybe just just go, go visit, give 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 your old uncle ronan a visit and yeah and, yeah know. i mean if you like heat you gotta watch ronan because it, there's like even like we said there's shades of heat in it you'll you'll feel a little bit of heat here and there you'll be like reminded of heat even in some of the dialogue like that stuff you know you say Robert Nero says about walking away, like it reminds me of him saying never get you know situated. It's like there's like dialogue connections to heat almost, and when he's telling her to walk away, walk away at the end, you know, like just go. Yeah. It's like this is like heat 2.0. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of weird. Yeah, I didn't even I haven't even thought of that at the time. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, I don't think I have anything else to add about the movie, James, unless you had any like closing comments in general. No, you you same. Like I mean, it is it's a great movie. Like I mean, it's. Top to bottom, good time. Uh, and it runs so like it's two hours, feels good. Like that, the pacing is good. Like you know, it goes from scene to scene, globe trotting like that. You know, doom, 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 all these action. It's a nice like that pace is nice. The way everything's set up, you know, you get this where we're figuring out what's going on, an action scene, figuring out what's going on, dialogue, you know, drama, action. You know, like they do. It's just you know that, that's how you make movies. Good, <laughs> good movies. Movies good. That is our movies are good. Take. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you, James, so much for joining us on the Wheel of Dad Movies podcast. Where can yeah, yeah, yeah. everyone find you? Uh, I mean, for now, you can still find me uh, on Twitter. That's kind of the only place I do anything. I don't do as much on there anymore. I don't think anyone really does. You know, it's kind of just. But you know, uh, for the time being, you can find me there. It's at tj underscore mackey and that's m-a-c-k-e-y four three two and uh that's it i just post i usually just post random movie clips of stuff i'm watching like just for fun you know like oh this is a good movie hey watch it and so i'll just post something so try to that's kind of all i do on twitter now is just try to post a clip of something i think was good or 
maybe say something good about a movie and I try to be positive all the time. I don't ever do anything negative because that's, there's enough people doing that. <laughs> Not yeah. that I want to do that, you know, but yeah, certainly. Um, and, and people who do the movie clips online are heroes to me because whenever I do it, I'm like, Oh, I can't be bothered. I've got to like YouTube and I've got to cut it. Down. Uh, but you know, it's always, that's so, where it's I keep, yeah, that's where I keep any, like, you know, I went to school. I, I might as well, do a little bit for fun as a hobby or something like I'll cut a couple film clips and I I don't even edit very often usually I'm just taking a clip and cutting it down to meet the Twitter requirements or whatever but every once in a while you know I'll edit something together like a few you know and whatnot and do my own thing to it but it's whatever you know it's just it gives me time to use my quote-unquote skills you know keep them (laughs) keep them from fading but yeah totally But yeah, thank you so much for joining us. This has been the Wheel of Dad Movies podcast. Before we wrap up everything, I want to give a quick shout out to our patrons. Thank you so much to Christopher Darby, George Jackson, Thomas Mulgrew, Shaka, and Josh Brown. Remember, if you want to go and support the podcast, you can do so. We are there on Patreon. We get access to episodes nice and early. You can vote in polls, and you get the occasional essay written by yours truly. Um, Next up, I think what we have next up because I've just recorded a batch of them. And I'm trying to think maybe this is the last of the batch that I've recorded, so I don't know for definite what is next. Um, so I'll leave you all in suspense on that note because by the time this is uploaded, I will know, and I'll, and then you'll know, and then then we'll all know, and it'll be a great time. But yeah, this has been the Wheel of Dabby's podcast. Thank you again for listening. Thank you to James for joining us, and we will see you next time. Bye. <laughs>